0: what God calls us to, 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 to do and to be as a husband and father. So my dad's version of manhood was you go work your job, you come home, you don't say much, uh, you, you go down and watch TV, and then when time for dinner, you come eat dinner, and then you go and you put your plate on the sink, and you go back and watch more TV until it's time for bed. That's what it looked like in my house. And uh, and I remember um, there, there being times when I could just tell my mom's struggling, and it's just the emotional support's not there. My dad just doesn't understand the idea of like emotional engagement, emotional support, like having a conversation about those kind of things. It just didn't happen in my family, and so this is what I saw growing up. Now, fortunately, they weren't the only ones that I saw. God placed other people in my life. My youth pastor. Uh, I had friends that had great dads that I saw. They modeled that for me, and uh, and God's kind of redeemed that in my life, but. That's what I saw growing up. So the question for you is, what have you seen in your life and how are you being shaped and taught what it means to be a man? So before we get to the bad, I want to talk about the good. So what is man's purpose? How did God, see if this thing is on here, should be working. It's not working, so you need to click the next slide. Um, So man's purpose. We've been looking at Ephesians 5, a lot in this series. Ephesians 5, uh, verse 25, and also beyond that. I'll read this to you. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Then skip down to verse 28. It says, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Whenever you and I imagine marriage, we may see it as this perpetual game of tug of war. I've heard people say things like, you know, yeah, in marriage it's got to be 50-50. And I'm like, but that image is like this. Okay, you get your way with this, and then I get my way with that. And then we make these compromises, and we, it's like a negotiation in a marriage. And that's not really what we see pictured in the bible as it talks about marriage because we don't see this tug of war happening we see oneness if you look at ephesians 5 we see oneness One, oneness with husbands and wives oneness with christ and the church and, and paul says that the oneness that we see with christ and his church should be that same oneness should be depicted in the relationship of husband and wife. So you're no longer two, you are now one. That's how the Bible describes you. He says that husbands should love their wives just as they love their own bodies. So listen, we don't seek to harm ourselves. We don't don't seek out the worst for ourselves. We look out for ourselves, and men should do the same with their wife and their family. Because what you do to your wife and your kids you're basically doing that to yourself because you're you're one with your wife. So if there's true oneness in a marriage relationship, then sacrifice doesn't feel like sacrifice because you're doing this to to bring about a, a flourishing and you're nourishing this this oneness in the relationship. So with our bodies, we don't. When you make a decision, it's not like you're your hand is sacrificing for the foot, right? Like, it's all working together. If your body wants to accomplish some task, it all works together. You don't think of it as like, well, the hand's got to sacrifice for the foot and and make this transaction. That's not how it works, and that's not how it works in the context of marriage. It all works together because it's one. So God calls men to be servant leaders. And we see that concept here in Ephesians chapter 5. Now, this sounds like a contradiction because most of us think leader means I get to be the boss. That's what we think leader means a lot of the time in our culture. But this leadership means that the man is spiritually responsible for his his wife, for his family, and it means that you humbly serve your wife and family. And to any female in the room who thinks that I understand many of you girls have seen a caricature of manhood portrayed in our culture and you don't like it and you shouldn't like it because it's not of God. It's not from God. But I want to ask you this question, ladies. When you hear about a man who's like serving his family, excuse me, who's looking out for his family in this way, like I know you're drawn to that. I know that's what you desire, like for your future. And so it it shouldn't sound oppressive or domineering or chauvinistic because that's not what's portrayed or what should be portrayed in any church, in any um, Bible-teaching, Bible-believing church or family. It's not what should be portrayed there. We don't find it there. Instead, we find something altogether different, and that's men that are stepping up and being servant leaders in their families. Now, for most guys... Some are more natural at serving and others are more natural at leading. And so if you're good, if you're really good at taking charge and being a leader type person, then you're going to have to grow at what it means to be a servant. But if you're good at, re- at really good at, at seeing people's needs, being empathetic and, and, and looking out for people, if you're really good at being a servant, you're going to have to grow in becoming a leader. And most of the guys I know have to grow in one, if not both, a lot, right? That's just the reality of where we're at. So this is man's purpose. This is servant leadership. What's interesting is that even the secular world knows something of this concept. Uh, On July 20th, 2012, in Aurora, Colorado, this massive tragedy happened in our country where there was a large group of people that went to go see an opening night uh, movie, The Dark Knight Rises, and they're in this Cinemark Theater, and um, as the movie began, in the first 15 minutes, a guy named James Holmes, he either was already in the theater or he came in through another door, and he burst into the theater, he sets off tear, tear gas grenades, and then begins shooting into the crowd, randomly. And everyone, of course, ducks down and trying to escape, you know, get cover from these these bullets coming at them. There were three men that night that brought their girlfriend to that movie. And what these three men did is they they pushed their girlfriend onto the floor, and they laid on top of them to protect them from the fire. Now, these three men all died that night. As bullets passed through their bodies... And actually went into their girlfriend. The girlfriends all lived. They all escaped. They were wounded, but they were not killed. So these three men, that give up their lives so that their, their girlfriend could live, these men were heralded as heroes in the media. Now I want to ask you a question. What if the roles had been reversed? What if the girls had been the ones that took the bullets for the guy? and the guys had lived. How do you think that story would have been portrayed in our culture? It wouldn't have been the same because even the secular world knows that a man should do that for someone that he loves and cares, cares for. Like we just, we just know it intrinsically. And so even the secular world understands something of this concept that that the man should go down, the man should be the one that gives up his life in this situation And these three men did just that. They sacrificed themselves so that they could live. And um, I, I say this to let you know, being a servant leader does not mean, you know, I get to make the decisions, I get to be the boss, I get to be in charge. It means you get to sacrifice. It means you get to die. It means you get to lay down your life and sacrifice. That's what it means to be a servant leader in this context. I love what Matt Chandler says. He says, where men fulfill their purpose, the world flourishes. But where they do not, the world burns. I don't need to tell you this. You know this to be true. You can look around our culture and you can see countless examples of where men are doing this really well, like families flourish, people flourish, communities flourish, but where this isn't happening we see the world on fire, like literally on fire. I've seen countless statistics of people. uh, They'll cite uh, statistics that talk about, you know, people that that commit murder. A high percentage of those people have no father figure in their life. People that commit rape, like same thing. Like it goes on and on and on with with crime and, and those kinds of things. What it comes back to is a fatherless society. And so there are at least three things that I think hold men back from fulfilling this kind of purpose. So here's the three hurdles I want to talk about today. The first hurdle is what I call the man code. And um, high school is boot camp for the man code. And your self-worth as a man is based on how well you live up to this code. And, and sadly, this is true even inside the church. It, it plays out in the church. And so the first uh, principle of the man code is no sissy stuff. I mean, guys don't, no, we don't delve into that world. Anything that can be put in that category, you have violated the man code and there's gonna be problems, you're gonna get made fun of, you're gonna get called out, Because that's what guys do. It's their spiritual gift, right? That's what they do. The second uh, aspect here is anger is better than sadness or fear. Anger is better than sadness or fear. Anger is the one emotion that is culturally acceptable for men in our society. And that's about the only one. If someone gets angry on the field, it's like, well, it was legitimate, it was justified because did you see what that ref did, Did you see what that other player did, of course I'm going to get angry. I love when people say things like, you know, Yo, guys, guys just aren't emotional. And I'm like, do you watch television? <laughs> do, do you watch sporting events? Guys have emotion, but it often comes out as Anger. Because it's the one in our culture that is acceptable culturally for them to have. And what will often happen is that there's usually a lot of sadness and fear behind that. And it gets turned into anger. Because sadness and fear, those are culturally unacceptable for a guy. And so this is the man code. The second, third point, take it like a man. We've heard that one before. Whatever's coming to you, whatever is happening in your life, like, well, take it like a man. It shouldn't really affect you emotionally, right? I mean, just roll off your back, take it like a man. The fourth point, seeing women as objects. We'll discuss this a lot more later in the series, but it's obvious in our culture that, um, I mean, marketing, everything is geared towards this, that, that a woman is an object and not a person. And so this is part of the man code that a lot of guys buy into. And so if you really care about someone, like really care for them, like their personality, their soul, like you see them as a whole being, and not just as an object, I mean that's, you violated the man code. Like you're letting her get to you. Like You don't do that if you're a man, right? Then the last point is that everything is a joke. And we'll spend some time on this one. Everything is a joke. So for the ladies, if you're wondering why guys act a certain way, well, this, this man code is the reason why. And I've given you, there's, there's, we could probably go on and on with points with this, but um, this is why. It's the man code. It's unwritten rules. And every guy somehow knows they exist, and every guy calls out other guys for violating these unwritten rules. And and I think this is partly what's holding men back from living out this purpose that God has called him to, to, to be. I want to spend some time here on this last one. Everything being a joke. Listen, I love humor. Like, humor is not sinful. I love comedy. I will go like, one of my favorite things to do is to turn on Netflix and find a really good comedian. I love comedy. I love comedy. I love it. But the problem is, for some guys, it's the only thing. Like, everything's a joke. Like, nothing's ever serious. Like, they never kind of get to that place of, like, let's take something serious and, like, really focus and, and tune in. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 and 4 says this. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. So listen, there's there's a time for laughter. There's a time for comedy. Like, I, I love those kinds of things, but some guys think it's just all the time. Like, their whole goal is how can I, if I can get my friends to laugh, well, then I will know that I am significant. Now, are they saying that in their head? Not necessarily, but that's what's behind it. If I can just get someone to to notice me in this way, well, that's going to make my day. It's going to make me feel good about myself. But usually what's behind this facade of humor is often an anxious and a fearful person. When you think of comedians, do you know how many stand-up comedians have said they struggle with severe depression and anxiety? And they will say, that's when I started writing comedy because I I wanted to, like, not be that way. And so when you you look at comedians on TV or wherever you watch it on, there's usually a lot of pain behind that that you don't know about. And it's their way of coping. And listen, for some people, God has redeemed that. Like, God has given them a gift. And what's amazing, when you see someone come to Christ from that background, and they, they can, like, start doing comedy that's like, you know, God glorifying in some way, and they use that, that humor for the, the, for the sake of the kingdom. That's an amazing thing to see. But what I think happens a lot of the time is for most people, it's just their way of escaping what they're fearful and anxious about. So for this kind of person, like, even when you get into, like, talking about the Bible or a small group discussion, there's, like, no desire to be reflective or... When the Bible's opened, it's like, let's just not, I mean, let's not take this seriously. This is, yeah, we have to do this, but let's not take it seriously. And I will say that over the last, over a decade now of being at this church, um, the guys I can think about who have come through this ministry, who like this was their thing, like everything's a joke, um, those stories haven't gone well. Like, when I think of those people, I can see their faces in my mind. Like, when I think of where they're at right now in life, not always, but most of the time, those stories have not gone well. And those, those people are not in the best places right now. Because at some point, life is going to hit you, and life is going to get serious. And the question is, are you ever going to get serious and take anything seriously? And my biggest concern for this guy is that he fits in well in most youth groups because sometimes you know he he likes to serve because like it's fun i mean there's impact there's mission trips i mean there's there's a lot of fun element right with with a youth group typically and again i love i love the gift of humor and comedy it truly is a gift but i would encourage anyone that like you focus on this too much that at some point like you got to take something seriously And then let your gift of humor be redeemed for the sake of the kingdom and for for God's glory. I'm totally in favor of that. And God has gifted you. I'll be clear about that. God's given you a gift. Let's use it for him. But not use it to distract other people or yourself from what God's called you to be and to do. So this is the man code. The second thing I think that is a hurdle for men is selfish aggression. Some think being a man is all about aggression, like being a, being a man looks like this, and they have even an image in their mind, they're trying to fit that image as they, whatever car they buy, the way they drive their car, the way they look with their body, all those things come into play here, and they're all about intimidation, sometimes anger, I think everyone's trying to disrespect them sometimes, and... Again, I mentioned this before, but people think that men aren't emotional. Not true. They are emotional, but it often comes out as anger. And so even, like, sadness and fear get channeled into anger for a lot of these kinds of guys. Again, now, anger is not always a sin. Ephesians 4, 6 says, Be angry and do not sin, do not, but do not let the sun go down in your anger. So I'll be clear, all anger isn't sin. There were times where Jesus was angry. So the only kind of anger that's not sin is righteous anger over sin. But most men are angry for other reasons, and they're angry about the wrong things. So you might say it like this. When a man cares too much for the wrong things, it leads to aggression. When a man cares too much about his ego or how he's perceived or someone disrespecting him, this often leads to aggression. He's caring too much for the wrong things. Whenever we get angry or aggressive, we think we're showing this like strength, but it's really a weakness in us. I think of uh, when I was in, I think, um, I forget what grade it was in, probably junior year of high school, there was a guy in my church that I saw his family as like this good, awesome, godly family. And then one night he tells us, that his, his dad beats up his mom, verbally and physically. I had no idea. And this guy was like a deacon in our church. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I had no clue that your dad is like this. And he was just sharing in tears one night what his dad's really like. And so here's a man whose life is cloaked with like righteousness and godliness. He looks like he's this you know, guy that's got it all together. And that wasn't the case because he adopted this kind of manhood mindset that um, he was a selfishly aggressive man, and this is who he was. His son, who was my friend, went on to live a train wreck of a life, and I think still is to this day. And so we see the damage this kind of thing causes in our masculinity. Thirdly, uh, selfish passivity. So there are some men who just want to skate through life. There's just nobody requiring or demanding much of them. Um, You know, life is for leisure, it's for comfort, it's for hobbies, and so life should be kind of easy. That's how they view it. And listen, I'm not trying to beat up the guys this morning, but I will say this. I've got two books on my shelf. These are not written by Christians. Here's the cover of these two books. One is called Men to Boys, The Making of Modern Immaturity. And it's just a, a sociological study of, like, what is happening with masculinity in our culture, and has been happening for a long time. The second is called The Decline of Men. And look at the subtitle. It's how the American male is getting axed, giving up, and flipping off his future. And these, again, they're not written by Christians. These are non-Christians that are recognizing a cultural dilemma. You know it's bad when even the non-Christians are recognizing that there's just something that's broken here. And just something's not right. These books describe what's called the Peter Pan syndrome like I don't want to grow up I don't want to mature I don't want to handle my business I'll just stay in this teenage world until I'm 30 35 maybe you know and uh, you've heard it said that boys will be boys well in our culture sometimes even the men want to be boys and that's what happens in the world that we live in I shared this past summer How people, especially men, are completing adult transitions later and later and later. And by that I mean leaving home, finishing school, financial independence, getting married, having a child. And some of this I think is resulting from more education. But some I think is um, just not wanting to grow up. Like just not wanting to do what God's called you to do. And uh, so we see this happening not just here but also just all over the world. So I want to ask you this question. How are we passive? What are ways that we're passive in our walk with God? Well, there's refusal to worship God. There's engaging fantasy instead of living in reality. There's silence whenever words are needed. There is excuse-making or complaining or disorganization or procrastination. There's laziness. This is all a refusal of God's creation mandate in Genesis chapter 2.15, where God places Adam in the garden, and he says, you're going to work the garden, and you're going to keep the garden. And God does all of this before the fall. Before sin. When I was young, I always thought that work was like part of the curse. Like before sin, Adam was just like chilling out. Like he was just hanging out. That's all he was doing. And then sin happens and God's like, all right, we're going to give you some work to do now. That's not what happens. Like he's given the task of working and keeping the garden before sin enters the world. What happens with sin is that work becomes cursed, it's not the curse, it becomes cursed, and becomes harder than it should be. And so what a lot of guys do, and women of course as well, is we wanna tap out on the responsibility because well work shouldn't be so hard. Well guess what, that's part of sin, it's part of the curse. And we live under that. Like even Jesus subjected himself to that. If you remember Jesus, who was God, entered into humanity did not see himself above hard work. Like he was a carpenter. Like I like the scars on his hands weren't just from the nails. He had scars before that. And so he worked for a living before he went and did his ministry. So God calls us to, to, to work and be people that are available for being used by God in these ways. So when a man cares too little for the right things, it leads to passivity. You know, some men are physically present, but they're emotionally absent. There are many men that I think are, this is kind of like food for thought for the ladies. Girls, you have to know this. As guys, one of our biggest fears is a fear of failure. And so oftentimes, we as guys... Only want to do the things we know we're competent in, the things that we're good at, and so for you ladies, know this. That's often behind us shirking our responsibility as a man, is this fear of failure. Like I'm, I only want to do what I'm good at, what I know I'll succeed at, because then I'll feel significant, and we struggle with this because we've bought this cultural lie that real men. Never fail, but the gospel sets us free from that expectation because real men find their identity in Christ, and so we don't have to feel we don't have to fear failure because we know that yeah if I, if I fail, I'm not wrapped up in that. I don't find my significance in that, and so I can take risk. I can risk failure because I knew who I belonged to. It's important for you to think about then lastly, we come to man's redemption. You will never live out God's purpose unless you surrender your life to the most humble servant leader who ever lived, Jesus Christ. Didn't come to be served, he came to serve. And listen, there's a lot at stake here. Because there are many who speak about people leaving the faith in high school or college, and most of the time we think it's because they just have unanswered intellectual questions. That's true some of the time. That's part of it. But I recently heard something fascinating that I want to share with you. There's a professor at University of Southern California named Vern Bankston. I think he's, he's passed away now. But for a number of decades, he conducted this study looking at over 350 families to see how faith was passed down from generation generation. To generation. Here's what he found out. Again, many parents believe, and people like me believe and teach, that teaching right information is the key. And that's part of it, but there's something else more important in passing down the faith. And he discovered this in his study and looking at, at these families for over, over several decades. And it's this a warm personal relationship with the Father. And by that, I mean your father, even more so than the mother. You might ask the question, what if I don't have that in my life? Well, there's there's hope for you. I'm confident there is because there are men in the body of Christ who can model this for you and and stand in the gap for you. And so the question is, will will you put yourself in a place where you can learn from people like that? In the way that was done for me, whenever I was walking through that stage of life myself, listen. If you don't have a father in the home or don't have a close relationship with your father, then yes, you've got an up. You might have an uphill battle, but it is one that you can fight with the power that the Holy Spirit provides. I'm confident of that. You know, I once heard a um, a pastor say that uh, that men are like trucks. They drive straighter with a load. And I think of a story when I was in high school, and I was trying to raise money for this mission trip, and my youth pastor had, like, all this firewood at his house, he said, hey, if you want to come to my house and, and chop the firewood up, and you can sell it for people, and they can give a donation for your mission trip, and so I would borrow his truck and drive it all over the place and drop off firewood and, and, uh, and that sort of thing and make some money for this mission trip. And this one night, I'm going to make this one delivery like 30 miles away. And I go to his house, and I knew they were calling for snow, but I was like, but I got this truck. I'll be fine. I don't think I was a senior in high school at that time. And, and so I load the, the, the truck up with wood. I drive it out to this person's house like 30 miles away, and it starts snowing while I'm driving. And it's getting a little bit treacherous, and I'm like, I'll be fine. I'm in a truck, right? Well, my pastor's truck was like two-wheel drive, not four-wheel drive. So it's got like the back wheels are the ones that drive the thing, right? Well, driving out there, I was fine. There's ice on the roads, there's some snow on the roads, I had traction, I was totally fine. I go drop this load off at this guy's house. Now I gotta come back. And this is the day where we had like like what's a cell phone? No one had cell phones back then. I'm just driving along these country roads and stuff. And suddenly the snow's getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And I'm not kidding, I must have spun out like four or five times, like going down this two-lane road, back road, and the truck just starts spinning out of control. And, and I'm thinking, this is the night that I'm going to die, right? And fortunately, God protected me. It took me three hours to get back to his house, and everyone's like, where were you? We were so worried. But what I want to say to you is the moment that weight was taken out of the truck, I began swerving all over the road because the the weight in the truck actually weighs it down, gives it more traction. And I think there's some truth here that that men, I think, are kind of like that. Like when you've got this weight that God's placed, this spiritual responsibility that God's placed placed upon you, and you feel the weight of that, you're going to drive straighter if you really understand what God's called you to be and to do and your purpose as a man. And so my question for you is, Will you buy the cultural lie or will you let Jesus redeem your, your masculinity? So I know it's a little bit late. I've gone a little bit long. We're going to have to break out.